right, Mark's Gospel, if you would open your Bibles there, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, picking up where we left off. Tracy and I went to a pastor's meeting last week, and one of the pastors was sharing that he had gone to another meeting that we all used to be a part of, and he said, I was so disappointed because I was speaking of our heritage, you know, that we have in the Word of God, and one of the young pastors said, well, I think we've moved beyond the Word. And I said, you got to be kidding. And I, so I asked him if someone else was there, so, someone who's of age and mature and been involved in ministry for decades, and I said, did he speak up? Did he say anything? He said, no, he agreed. Let me tell you, we have not moved beyond the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and that by the Word of God. We need the Word of God. If you don't have the Word of God, you're going you're gonna to believe a lie. You're going to attend a church that's going to do all sorts of wacky stuff and say, thus says the Lord, or this is the Spirit of God, and you're going to go, amen, because you're not going to know any better. You need to know the Word of God. Because I'll tell you, we're living in the last days, and Jesus is the one who told us in the last days it would be marked by deception, that there would be many deceivers to deceive, and they're out there. So, chapter 5. Look at the first five verses with me. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gadarenes. And when he, Jesus, came out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains were, had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and, and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones." And Father, we pray as we look at this familiar portion of Scripture. I mean, all of the Gospels, all of the New Testament should be very familiar to us as Christians. But we look at this and we pray that we want to just look at it and say, yes, I know this story, you know, or this account. But that we might approach it as we seek to approach every portion of Scripture knowing that your word is alive and there's things that we can glean from it, there's things that we can apply, there's warnings that we can uh, take heed to. And so, Lord, we pray that by your spirit and through your word you would teach us once again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, guys, if you read ahead, and, and you could do that, you know, because you know where we're going to go. I mean... If I was doing topical teachings, you might be saying, well, I wonder where he's going to be this Sunday, you know, but you know where I'm going to be. In fact, in your Bibles, you can just look at your Bible and say, well, he most likely, because he talks so much, he most likely isn't going to go beyond this text, and he'll probably just teach that next week. And I encourage you to read ahead. If you read ahead, maybe you were prompted to read the other gospel accounts of the same story, the same event. And if you did, you notice that Matthew says that there were two demon-possessed men. 
And so you might say, well, you know, why did, why did he speak of two, and yet Mark and Luke, the other synoptic gospel writers, they only mentioned one. Is there a contradiction? No, there's no contradiction at all. Obviously, Mark and Luke focused on the one, and I'll, if I remember, I will point out why I believe they focused on the one. Guys, when you go through the Bible, you know, we have, of course, uh, four accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And so you read the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And you might come away from the biblical accounts and say, okay, was there, was there one angel? Were there two angels? One at the foot, one at the feet? Were there three angels? Were there more than that? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Just because a gospel writer chooses to focus on one of the angels doesn't mean that there was only one angel there. There were others that were there. And so there were two men, but we're going to approach it from Mark's gospel account, and Mark simply focuses on one of them. I want to remind you, and you'll see this as we read through our text, that the disciples are not mentioned at all in this account. But we know they were there, right? How do we know they were there? Because last week, they were all in the boat. Remember, they're crossing over the lake. And so they're all together in the boat. They, they go through the storm and all of that drama that took place, and then the calming of the storm. And as we saw last week, the disciples were afraid. They said, who can this be? I mean, he has, he has power over the wind and the sea as well. So he's with the disciples or with Jesus. But from Mark's gospel account, you would, you would kind of gather that it was just simply Jesus and this, this one demon-possessed man. But of course, they were there. You say, well, why do you point that out? That's obvious. They were there. I point it out because I think it's worth noting that chronologically from Mark's gospel account, we see the 12 being called by Jesus, being appointed, remember there were 12, being appointed by the Lord to be with him so that he could send them out. He calls them, we go into the next chapter, he teaches some parables, gives the key to understanding the parables. Then we go to the next text. Jesus says, let us cross over to the other side of the storm. They start going, or, I'm sorry, the other side, you never mentioned storm. That would have given them a heads up. Let's go to the other side of the lake, of the sea. They start heading across. There's a storm. Of course, as we mentioned last week, it seemed to be demonic in origin because Jesus doesn't just tell it to be calm or still. He rebukes the wind and the sea. So they go right from that storm, a literal storm, where they thought they were going to perish, right into another storm, the storm of a demonic man running their direction. Now, he's running up to Jesus, but they're with Jesus, and so you would see this fellow coming full speed ahead. You know, guys, there are many people, even in churches, that profess to be Christians, that they take different approaches when, when you speak of the devil or demons, you know. Some, would, some Christians think that there's a demon behind absolutely every bush, you know. 
Uh, I've got the demon of nicotine. I've got the demon of alcohol. I've got the demon of the... So, so they almost act as if they're victims to these demons that just keep coming in and, and, and creating these urges within them and everything. And of course, that's not biblical at all. But there are others who go to the other extreme and they say, well, Satan, you know, uh, I mean, do we believe in Satan, Lucifer? Where do we get that anyway? From the Bible. Satanists borrow from the Bible. They don't have their own writings from Satan. Satan didn't write any Bible. They have the Satanic Bible, but it was things that were taken from the Bible, from the Word of God. They would say, oh, you know, some have even gone so far to say that Lucifer, Satan, is an imagination or an invention of the church to keep people in line. How's that working? Has Satan, ever, has Satan ever kept you from sinning? Has he ever kept you, you know, fear, I don't want to go to hell and meet that guy with the red suit and the pointed tail and everything? All these strange, strange things. The fact of the matter is the Bible says that he was an angel. He was one of the archangels. And because of his pride, he wanted to be exalted. He wanted to be worshipped like God. He's not, as the Mormons would teach, you know, the evil brother of Jesus. There's so many strange, strange teachings. Now, of course, you think of demon possession, and there are many Christians today, modern-day Christians, they almost act as if, well, demon possession no longer exists. What we have to deal with today is uh, mental illness. So, so mental illness now has replaced demon possession. And so how do we do, deal with mental illness? Well, we can, we can lock them up, like they tried to do him. We could drug them up to kind of subdue, you know, the inner voices. Where do those inner voices come from? And you can come to some conclusions. And I think that we need to step back from this and, and maybe look and say, you know what? Isn't it interesting that when you go through the Old Testament, this is why as students of the Bible, you should be reading the Old Testament as well. As you read the Old Testament, can you think of any references to demon-possessed people? You'd probably be hard-pressed. Were there demon-possessed people in the Old Testament? Surely, there had to have been. They were into all sorts of paganism and just horrible things. I mean, you know, it'd have to be demonic to think of offering your child to Moloch. That's demonic. That's not normal. That, that's crazy, you know. But there's no mention, really, of demon-possessed people. And yet, in the New Testament, Jesus, the Son of God, God incarnate, comes upon the scene. And you kind of get the picture. Boy, there were demons absolutely everywhere. People were, were, were plagued by demon possession everywhere de Jesus went. These demons were to be found. I personally believe that because Jesus was on the scene, the demons who have no authority over Christ, Christ has authority over them, that they couldn't but help themselves, manifest themselves when he was in their presence. I personally believe, I, I can't point to a scripture and say, thus says the Lord, here's the word of God on this, but I personally believe, because we're close to the, to the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, you know, and and the rapture of the church, the removal of the church from the earth, I believe that we are seeing an uptick in the demonic. And I think that we will. 
Because when you look at the book of Revelation, guys, you see, you see um, the false prophet, you see the Antichrist, you see these demonic, you know, mention of demonic things coming out of the abyss and everything else. So we're going to see an increase of these things, not a decrease of these things. Well, our text, at least the first five verses, they tell us something about the man, the condition of the man. It says that he had an unclean spirit, singular. So at, at first it sounds like he had a demon. That would be bad enough to have one demon. And then it goes on, it says that he dwelt among the tombs. How depressing that is. He dwelt among the tombs. He dwelt among the dead. And that he was naked. Now, it doesn't say specifically that he was naked, but it's assumed because later we see him clothed. We'll see that as we read on in our text. And we see that he could not be bound, which indicates that he needed to be bound because he was dangerous. He was scary. And we're told that he had supernatural strength, that he could pull apart and break in pieces the shackles and the chains. And then we're told that he could not be tamed, once again indicating that he needed to be tamed. And then we're, we're told that he was out of his mind. Now the text doesn't tell us that he was out of his mind, but the text goes on to say that later we, they, they see him in his right mind. So that would indicate that he was out of his mind before that. And then we see him crying out day and night. Do you ever wonder? I wonder about this all the time when I see people in our little community that are just so tormented by things outside of themselves. I'll tell you, if you want to liven up your life, come down here and, and park at the church for a week and, and just watch the people that come by this church. They don't necessarily come in. Sometimes they're pulling on the door. I don't hear it until I, you know, make my way there. And, and then by then they're halfway down the street. But there are many, many people that are just absolutely in torment. Screaming out. And then eventually we'll see in our text that he had more than one demon. Because when Jesus asked the name of the demon, the demon, the spokesman of the demon said, we're called legion, for we are many. Now, a Roman legion would have, depending upon who was ruling at any given time, a Roman legion would have anywhere from four to 6,000 men. Now I don't know that I don't know that necessarily the man had four to six thousand demons, but again, one would be one would be enough. Verse two, he, Jesus, had come out of the boat immediately there met him. So they go from one stormy situation to another stormy situation. I want to remind you of a few verses that aren't found in our text. The first one is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Peter wrote, be sober. Do you know what that means? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean be serious, straighten up. No, it, it means what, we, what it sounds like, be sober. 
abstain from anything that might cause you to become intoxicated. He says, be sober, be vigilant to keep watch, to keep awake. You might ask the question, why? And he gives the answer. He says, because your adversary, it's your adversary, it's my adversary. He's our adversary. He's not our friend. He's our foe. For your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, guys, I want you to, I mean, this is something that should cause us to sober up because we have a foe. I don't necessarily think he was our foe before we came to Christ, but once we've placed our faith in Christ, he is our foe. What does he want to do? He wants to, he wants to devour us. And so here's the exhortation, resist, which means to stand fast, to oppose, resist him. And then we're told how to resist him. Peter goes on to say, steadfast in the faith. Steadfast in the faith. So if we're steadfast in the faith, how are we do? We're, we're in the word, we're reading the word, we're applying the word, we're believing the word, we're seeking to walk out the word. That's how we're going to be able to be steadfast in the faith. Now, let me say something here before I cause any confusion. I don't believe for a moment, as some Christians teach, here's another false doctrine, um, that Christians can be demon-possessed. I do not believe that. The Bible says that he who is in us, so the he who is in us is referring to the Spirit of God. Remember? I mean, I shouldn't even have to say remember, but, but that's what the Scripture teaches. The Spirit of God who's in us is greater than he who is in the world. Who's in the world? Satan's in the world. So we have the Spirit of God. There's no way that the Spirit of God is going to move over so that a demon can possess us, you know. In one sense, this is why we have many exhortations. Walk in the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit's fire. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, all of, the, you know, this is our responsibility as Christians. We have the Spirit of God living within us. The Spirit of God who will teach us all things, remind us of things, who will... Um, you know, enable us to live the Christian life that the Lord has called us to live. It's the Spirit of God. So I don't believe for a moment that a Christian can become demon-possessed. But I do believe that Christians, because they dabble with things that they should not, allow the enemy to oppress them. Not possess, but oppress He's just, you know, there's just this darkness, there's this gloom, there's this depression, there's this cloud, there's this, there's this, there's no victory, there's no moving forward, I'm at a standstill, I'm, I believe that the enemy could do that. And I believe that that's what he was speaking of, that he may devour Here's another scripture. This is from Jesus. John 10.10. 10. The thief, and this is referring to not a robber, but, but uh, Satan. He says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I bet a lot of you have little plaques or, or things in your house with the end of that verse, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. That's a promise. But I think many of us forget the context. 
The context, Jesus is saying, listen, you have a foe. He is a real foe. He hates you. And this is what he wants to do. He wants to steal from you. He wants to, he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy. And he does. And he does this even in Christians' lives. He steals. He takes away, uh, we saw in the parable of the sower, he takes away the word that's sown in their hearts, you know, so it could never take root. But Satan, he's a thief. He's a liar. He wants, he wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to bring people to a place of hopelessness and misery. He wants to destroy. He's bent on destroying. He, he wants to destroy lives. He wants to destroy testimonies. He wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy absolutely everything. That's our foe. You say, well, Dan, this is depressing. Well, you know, gosh. Sometimes, you know, I, some people, they say things. It's like, keep it positive, positive, positive. It's like, have you ever read the Bible? It is positive. There are positive exhortations of truth. Here's the reality, you know. You need to know this. I remember years ago, getting a call from someone, and they said, um, so-and-so is coming down to see you. They have a gun. I don't think it's going to go well. Just giving you a heads up. Oh, okay. I didn't say, why are you so negative? <laughs> no, thank you. I'll make sure I lock the doors to the church. And if I see him coming, I'll give the police a call, you know. I mean, it, it was a warning. It was an exhortation. This guy's unhinged. You know, this is, he's coming down to talk to you, you know. Okay. All right, thank you. Listen, the Lord's given us an out. You don't have to be Satan's puppet or slave any longer. Call upon Jesus. If you haven't called upon Jesus, call upon Jesus. Believe in him. Live for him. And you say, I have, but I'm oppressed. You've opened a door to things that you shouldn't have opened a door to. I don't know why Christian people love dark things. It is the flesh. And I'm telling you, that's where the enemy gets a foothold, in our flesh. It's not the spirit, it's the flesh. It always begins with the flesh. Oh, I find this interesting. I was mentioning to the first service that, you know, it's hard press if you want any entertainment, you know, that, that isn't gross or bizarre, or whatever, nasty. What, you, you know, you, you, you can't go to your television. You almost need to go to some other thing. And, and we got this little um, Discovery Plus, I think it's called. And it has programs that I like. I like, um, I like programs about fixing up homes, so like flipping homes and stuff. So construction, obviously, I like that type of thing. And uh, gold mining, I like that stuff. Anything to do, you know, guys doing stuff, you know. I like watching stuff like that. Or making things, you know, just making anything. I, I like that type of thing. And, and, and of course, that Discovery Plus has all of those shows. But I'll tell you what it has an abundance of, and I think it's so amazing. It has an abundance of paranormal programs. This haunted mansion, ghost, you know, chasers or whatever, this and that, and program after program, there's just a line of them. And I'm thinking, wow, 
this must be of interest because they wouldn't have this many shows if it wasn't of interest, you know, to people. And I'll tell you, when Christians want to dabble in that stuff, oh, yes, no, 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 I don't believe in that stuff. I believe it's demonic, but there are Christians, there are Christian kids that, that play with things they shouldn't play with, you know. Oh, let's play with the Ouija board. Let's have a seance. Let's, let's call up so-and-so. Let's do this. Oh, we don't believe in this stuff. You know what? Satan could care less what you believe in. He doesn't care. <laughs> in fact, it's even better if you say, well, I don't believe in this stuff. I just want to play with this stuff. And they go, oh, wow, what happened there? Don't you think it's amazing that you have what was sold as a game when, I don't know when it first came out. Was it the 60s or even before then? A Ouija board? Sold as a game? But you know that occultists, they, they don't use it as a game. And people that have, have dabbled in that stuff have, have found that bizarre things happen. My sister, you know, it was just the two of us growing up. We were orphans. No, we had a mom and dad. But we didn't have any other siblings. It was just the two of us. And my sister was fascinated in that stuff. I always, I always hated that type of stuff. But she was fascinated in that. And, and she would play with the Ouija board, and she had some really horrible experiences. And I'm telling you, growing up, like when I was a teenager, she was preteen, she would beg me every night, Danny, can I please sleep in your room? Please, please. You're scared to death to sleep in her own room. Horrified by this, you know. And there's a lot of people that dabble in things that they shouldn't dabble in. Well, Let's go on. Verse 6. And when he, that is the spokesman of the demons, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Either the spokesman or the man himself, most likely the man. I'm sorry for misspeaking there. You know that word worshipped? It literally means to kiss or a, like a dog licking its master's hand. That's what it does. What were the demons doing? And we'll see it as we read on. The demons were in subjection to Jesus. They knew who he was. They're not his equal. This was not worshiping, I worship you because you're the Lord. This was, this was like a submission to Jesus. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, in the book of Daniel, we see these, um, these princes, these spirits, over particular locations. Guys, we know that Paul tells us that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but these principalities and powers. You know, there's this unseen world. They're as real as this world is here. We can't see them, but they exist. And Daniel kind of pulls back the veil a little bit, and he shows us a little bit of that. He says, listen, there's the prince of Persia. It's not a person. It's a demonic entity. 
And I was restrained, you know, Michael says, as he, as he was coming, you know. I was restrained. I was held back for a time. And you could see this real spiritual battle that takes place. And so these demons, they don't want to be sent out of the country. Like they had a stronghold there in that part of the country. And a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him. Now I want you to picture this, guys. If you're not freaked out by this, and we should be freaked out by this. This is not something to play with. But it wasn't just now one demon speaking through the man. Now it's all of the demons speaking. And I just, I just picture all of these voices, how horrifying they were. You know, I think about it, and I want to almost physically cover my ears because it would just be so horrible. Because that's what it says. It says that all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirit went out and entered the swine. And there were about 2,000. Now, I don't know. I think it was 2,000 swine, not 2,000 demon. But I don't know. You could, I guess, whatever ever you want to read it. And the herd ran violently down the a steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Luke tells us that um, they begged him that he would not condemn them or command them, excuse me, I did that last service, command them to go into the abyss. Please, we know you have authority to send us into the abyss. We know that there are those that are being held for judgment. Jude speaks of this. Other New Testament writers speak of this. Why did they want to go into the swine? I have no idea. I was talking to Nehemiah between services, and you know he's asking different questions and suggesting some things. And I, I told him, I said, you know, but I, I just. It sounds horrible to say this, but I. You know, I, I know that there are those who like to teach and like to study demonology. I have no interest in it. I've dealt with demon-possessed people as a Christian. Uh, we had something recently happen here, and a few of us, we recognized it as demonic. We kind of prayed over the building. We were in prayer. We were waiting for the next uh, opportunity we had to deal with the individual and um, and we prayed Lord if if uh, if if this individual and and whatever is driving this person if they mean harm we pray that they wouldn't even be able to enter the building and he has not been back you say oh that's weird that's not weird at the pastor's meeting, you know, you, you get together with people. It's not like we have these horror stories, but, you know, people, the pastors, the pastor's wives are just sharing things. One of the pastors, a uh, friend of ours, dear friend of ours, uh, he said, yeah, we had an incident. We've been dealing with this woman, and uh, last week we had to deal with her. We had to get her out of the building. There was some real demonic things happening. We had no other choice. We, you know, tried to deal with her, but she was out of control, had to call the police, and, you know, this type of thing, it happens. It happens. When we first started the church, uh, we had no meeting place. You know, we would rent facilities. And, and uh, I got a call at our home uh, 
This is before cell phones. I got a call from a woman, and she said, I understand that you're pioneering a Calvary Chapel. And I said, yes, you know, excited, you know, whenever, now they're calling us, you know, we, we don't have to go out and... She said, I'd like to come over and talk with you. I, I'd like some counseling. And I said, okay. I said, well, I have no place to meet. My wife would need to be there with me. And, and um, I said, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll just bring you back home and, uh, and we'll chat with you and everything. And she walked into our home, a rental. She walked into the house. She sat down in the chair. And immediately, the strangest things were happening. Really frightening things. Her face would almost do a ripple type of thing. As we were talking to her about the Lord, the very first thing she said when she came into the house, this rental, she sat down and she says, it feels so good to be back in this house. I thought, oh man. Well, that was day one. That was day one. And we dealt with her for months. She would come into a service, disrupt a service. Uh, she would do it to our church. She did it to another church. The other church would call the paramedics because she would act like she was having a heart attack. Paramedics would come. They'd show up. They would see her and say, oh, she's not sick. She's not, you know, this is, this is what she does, you know totally disrupt the service. So we never gave in to that. We just said, you know, come on, let's help you. I had a board meeting one, one day after church, and the last person is leaving our facility, you know, our little spot in Trader's Village. And, and the last person walks in and I said, goodbye, good to see you, know, thank you, see you next week. And she walked in and walked into the bathroom and locked the door. And I thought, oh man, what's going on? I mean, you know, I don't want to go into the graphic details, but it was just horrible, absolutely horrible, the things that were going on, and we had to deal with that type of stuff. I don't, I don't need to study demonology because a lot of the demonology are what people are getting supposedly from demons. Well, if Satan's a liar, do you think he'd tell the truth about himself and well here's my Achilles heel but don't tell anybody you know I mean we have authority in Christ this is not something we should play with we shouldn't be looking for these types of things but when these types of things come we need to deal with them I love the fact that Jesus, he didn't wait for things to get better. He just simply dealt with it. The storm was raging. He stands up. He rebukes the sea. It becomes calm. This man comes running full force toward him. He, you know, he doesn't wait for things to get better. He doesn't say, listen, let's simmer him down. Let's get him a cup of coffee. Let's get him a pill, you know, to calm this man down. No, he just dealt with it. Come out of him. And the demons came out of him. Jesus knows how to deal with things. And that's our authority. That's what we need to do. So what, why did the demons want to go into the swine? Perhaps it's because they didn't want to become inactive. Demons need a host. You say, but pigs? Yeah. Do you guys know that during the tribulation period, this is why you should be Bible students, that during the beginning of the tribulation period, 
It talks about men being killed by the sword, so by weapons, by war, and by the beast of the earth. What? Yeah. The beast of the earth. Who's that, Bigfoot? I don't, you know, I, don't know, I don't know what it's referring to, but it's speaking of some sort of creatures that would be upon the earth at that time. Spurgeon wrote this, quote, Satan would rather exasperate or vex swine than to do no mischief at all. He is so fond of evil that he would work it upon animals if he cannot work it upon men, end of quote. Well, then the follow-up question would be, well, why would Jesus allow them to go into the swine? But by the way, you you're, you're might be thinking, why were there swine? This is Israel. This was Gentile territory. So this is where the Gentiles lived and dwelt, and that's why they had their swine. And again, I don't know the answer for sure why he allowed them to go into the swine, but, but we know what happened. They went into the swine. The swine immediately went into the lake and were killed. So maybe, you know, that's how the Lord just dealt with them. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. I know a lot of this stuff, you know, I could even see it on my wife's face. We don't, she doesn't like it when we talk about things like this because it's dark, and it is. But the Bible is speaking of this. And so I want us to understand these things. It's not an install. I'm just saying that we, we feel that, don't we? That darkness. When, when you talk about things like this, and I know some of you, you, you look so serious right now, and it is a serious topic, but we're going to move on. There's going to be good things coming, okay? So hang with me. Okay. Jesus, remember, he deals with the, the demons, the legion of demons, and there the people come, and they see the man sitting, clothed, and in his right man, mind. So what a contrast. Because the last time these people saw this man, he was screaming and yelling and breaking and, and, and cutting himself and, and all of this just horrible demonic stuff. After Jesus dealt with the legion of demons, we see in verses 15 and 17 that the people were afraid. Are you catching that? Remember last week that the disciples, the disciples were afraid when they were in the midst of the storm because they really believed that they were going to perish, that they were going to die. Then Jesus calmed the storm, and the Bible says, and they were afraid. They're still afraid. Now they're saying, who is this man? Who is he? That he has authority over the waves. This week, we see the people, obviously they were afraid of the demon. They tried to bind him. They tried to restrain him. No, no doubt they avoided the tombs. They would go out to the tombs only when they'd have to bury somebody. And then Jesus delivers the man, and the people are still afraid. They're still afraid. What were they scared of more, the deeds of the devil or the deliverance of the Lord? You know, guys, I think that, I think that, as humans, we adapt to things. You could adapt to the darkest of life. 
You just adapt to it. This is, this is what we have. Yeah, we've got some demon-possessed demon men. They hang out at the tombs. And yeah, it's a drag, you know, for the, for the guys taking care of their pigs out there and everything. But, you know, such is life. This is what we have to deal with. I can't wait until the Lord calls us home. But I'll tell you, this earth is going to be absolutely horrific. Because the church is the restrainer. It's the Holy Spirit in the church that's restraining the evil in this world. And yet we are living in the days, just as Jesus said it would be, the days of lawlessness. Think of what it's going to be like when the church is not here. When the light of the church is not here, it's going to be absolutely horrific. I can't, listen to me. If you haven't placed your faith in Christ, what in the world are you waiting for? Things are not going to get better. It's going to become so horrible. Read the book of Revelation. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, read it anyway. Read it. See if the Lord might speak to you through the book of Revelation. Because I'll tell you, it describes, it doesn't describe good things. They're not positive things or negative things. Get over the negative. There's negative coming. But the positive thing is Christ will come and he will set up his kingdom upon the earth for a thousand years and we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth that's passed away. And we will be in that place. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. And for the church, man, we're going to be raptured. And we're going to go to that place that he has prepared for us. Remember that place, guys? It's not heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again so that, you, so that I might receive you unto myself. So the church has that prepared place to look forward to, then the thousand-year reign of Christ to look forward to, then the new heaven and the new earth eternity to look forward to. What does a non-believer have to look forward to? Hell. And on this earth, hell being unleashed upon this earth. The Bible describes hellish things happening in the tribulation. Men being stung for five months, being stung by these scorpion-like creatures. And they would rather die, but they cannot die. It's going to be absolutely, it's going to be like a horror movie. But it's going to be reality. This is it. This is what's coming. Jesus, look, look at verse 18. Okay, I got to keep this rolling. Verse 18. Did I read verses 14? Let me jump back to 14. Uh, so those who fed the swine fled, and they told it to the city and in the country, and they went out to see what had happened. You would go out. Wouldn't you go out if you knew of something like this? You know what, guys? We've got our own tormented people in our community. And I'm thinking of a man right now. He's a giant of a man. He walks our streets. Sometimes he has a smile on his face. Other times he's in torment. My son Nehemiah has talked to him on a number of occasions. He's prayed for him on a number of occasions. I've seen the man bring a four-way intersection by Hagen and, uh, you know, the, the highway to a screeching halt 
as he's ripping his clothes off and screaming at the top of his lungs and police are surrounding this man and not quite sure how they're going to go in and take this giant of a man down. But I'll tell you, if someone was to say, hey, Dan, we prayed for that fellow and let me tell you what happened. It wasn't just mental illness as we're so quick to label people. It was demonic. And that man has been delivered. And that man is in his right mind. And that man is clothed. And that mind is, come and see. I'll tell you, you couldn't hold me back. I'd want to go and see what the Lord had done. So it's no wonder the people had come out to see what had, what had happened. And the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid, and those who saw it told them how it happened. This is how it happened. And as they're saying this, they're pointing to Jesus. This is how it happened. He's the one that did this. And to him who had been demon-possessed, and about the swine, and they, and they begged him, or they began to plead with him, to depart from the region. And that's just so amazing to me. Leave. Please leave. Really? It doesn't make sense. I've told the story, you know, my dad seemed so disappointed when I surrendered my life to Christ. You would think that even a non-believer you would think, you would say, good, good, son. You're not out partying. You're, you're, there's a good chance you won't end up like the rest of us renter men, you know, and women. Uh, your life might go a different route. Wonderful, you know, even if he didn't agree with it. But he's so disappointed. And it frightened him. Because he wasn't sure what I'd become. Again, people adapt to the most dismal of, of, of situations, you know. They begged him to leave, depart. Amazing. Now, verse 18. And when he got into the boat, so now Jesus is ready to leave, you know, they just said, leave. He said, okay. You know that our, our Lord is a perfect gentleman. He's never going to force himself on anyone. You don't want him. He's not going to force He's not going to grab you in a headlock and say, you know, you'll believe in me. Believe me. No, you want, you want to reject him? Okay. And he's, he's ready to depart. And he who had been demon-possessed begged him. You want to go back and note and circle all the times that the word begged is used in our text today. I believe it's four or five times. He begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And so the guy was obedient. He departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, which is the ten cities, all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Can you blame the demon-possessed man? I mean, it's like I had... Nothing. I was waiting to die, to be released from this torment 
of my life. And you rescued me. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I can almost imagine the disciples saying, hey, Lord, that's not a bad idea. You know, we're taking this thing on the road and we could have the formerly depressed, <laughs> possessed man with a legion of demons, you know, and he could go and share his testimony. And Jesus says, no, go home. Go home. Really, Lord? Yeah, go home. Go home and tell your friends. Go home and tell your family. You know what, guys? From chains and shackles, from mental, physical, demonic torment, from self-inflicted injury to missionary. Go tell. You know why we don't experience the abundant life? Because let's be honest, most of us say, where is that anyway? You promised it. Where is it? The reason we don't experience the abundant life that the Lord has promised is because we don't take him at his word. We don't, we, we don't believe, we, we don't, we're so guarded. We listen to the lies of the devil more than we listen to the Lord. We're more concerned about our reputation. You know, what will they think of me uh, on the job? What will my neighbors think of me if I, if I talk about Jesus, you know? We have some wonderful neighbors, um, and they had a, a new baby recently, and, and so I, I saw him, and I said, uh, oh, I, I didn't realize, I saw you holding a baby, I thought it was someone visiting, you know, but my, Tracy told me that you had a baby, congratulations. And he goes, yes. And I said, a boy or girl? And he said, another girl. And I said, praise the Lord. No, um, I, I didn't even think about it. It just kind of blurted out of my mouth because that's kind of how I talk, you know. Praise the Lord. And I said, what a blessing. I said, you know what? Being a dad to girls there's a special blessing there. I mean, it's, it, it, that, that's a blessing, you know. And so the next time I saw him, you know how he was talking to me? He was using the word blessed, so thankful to the Lord, you know. And um, he knows where we're at, you know, he knows that we're Christians and everything, and we just love having him as a neighbor. I always tell him we're so glad you're next to us and everything. But you know, guys, when we proclaim the Word of God, when we stand upon the Word of God, when we're not concerned about what people might think of us, when we're letting our light shine before man, when we're sharing our testimony, why is our testimony so important? Because that's what overcomes the enemy. Because see, the enemy, and this is the thing, the enemy, do you think that the enemy cares that you're born again? <laughs> if you don't do anything with the Spirit of God in you or the Word of God, if your life's not a, a, a shining hill on a hill, a shining city on a hilltop, do you think he cares? He doesn't care. Satan is invited into most churches because they don't teach the Word of God. He'll hang out with, 
with Christian people. He has no or people who profess to be Christian. He doesn't care about that. He wants to kill, to steal, and destroy. And some people, he's going to maneuver, he's going to work in their lives because this is the way they're bent. Let's, let's take more. You could drink more. You could take more. Swallow those pills. Smoke that meth. You could take more. Take more. Take more. Take more. You're almost there. Where? Destruction. I want to kill you, sucker. You're so stupid. And he laughs all the way. These people are so gullible. Or in the church, a little compromise here, a little compromise there, and let's welcome our, you know, our, our homosexual pastor, and boy, we're so woke, and we're so awake, and we're so loving, and there's nothing negative about our church. And Satan goes, oh, I love this place. Yeah, I love it. This is what I love. A bunch of people who think they're on the way to heaven and they're on the highway to hell because they don't believe my word. He doesn't care. It breaks my heart. I, I should break our heart as Christians that we have people around us all the time that are dying from, from drug overdose. What's that, uh, uh, the, the one that's so bad right now? Fentanyl, yeah, fentanyl. I mean, they're poisoning our, our, our streets. And it's like, it doesn't matter. What does matter? It's affected people in our own church. Matters to them. And that's the devil. That's what he does. How did the man become demon-possessed? You know, I, I have no idea. But I know that people open themselves up to things. I think drugs and alcohol, I think that's a doorway. I think that opens things up. I think when you're fascinated with mediums and Ouija boards and the spiritual writing and all of this type of thing, I think that you're opening yourself up. I think the different forms of uh, Eastern forms of meditation and some of these other practices, you're opening yourself up to the demonic. And we justify it because we say, it works, it works, it works. Well, my mother, before she became a Christian, you know, she became a Christian, you guys come up, in, in her 80s. And I'm so thankful that she surrendered her life to the Lord. But my mom was so fascinated with the occult. I grew up in a home where we would have, say I didn't participate in them, but the adults that would come to our home, they would participate in seances, in readings. My, one of my great aunts was a medium. She would do readings in our home. As a child, I could feel the darkness of it. I just felt it. I knew it was so evil. As an adult, Right before Tracy and I got married, my father was gone. I think he was deep sea fishing, and my sister was gone, and my aunt came up, and so it was my mother and my aunt and myself. I had come home, and, and my aunt said, let's, let's try to talk to Dad tonight. Spiritual writing. 
And I said, you know, guys, please don't do that. Don't do that in the house. It's not right. I didn't know the terminology. I wasn't a believer, but I just knew it's not right. And there's always a residue. And I'm telling you, you play with it as adults, your children are affected with it by it. Guaranteed. You, you watch trashy stuff, your children are affected by it. You say, well, they're not watching. I don't care. They're affected by it. You watch the horror films and you're into all this type of stuff and the kids aren't hearing it, they don't see it. I guarantee you it's affecting them. Don't be surprised when they wake up with these horror dreams and you're going, well, I wonder what the connection is. It's a spiritual connection because you're opening a door and sadly, many times the enemy looks for the weakest link. You look at any family. There are so many families in our church that have been affected by demonic activity. And, you, and again, you might not recognize it, but you say, well, no, it's not demonic. It's just, just this and just that. And, and we just... It's not normal, it's not natural to cut yourself. But we're making it normal. We're making it acceptable. But where do we first see it? In the Bible with this man that was cutting himself with stones? I mean, that's what the devil does to people. Let's mar your body. Let's scar you up. Let's make a fool out of you. Burn your skin, cut your skin. It's demonic, guys. And we need to shut the door to these things and not play into this. If you're not a Christian, place your faith in Christ and he will keep you from this demonic stuff. If you are a Christian and you're dabbling in these things, and you're saying, well, I am a Christian, but I'm still tempted to do these things. You need to renounce these things. You need to recognize them for what they are. Some of us have children, adult children, and they're in a bad place. Do you know, guys, they're not going to be able to fight the battle because they're in a bad place. So who's going to fight it? The parents are going to fight it. How do we fight it? Prayer, standing on the Word of God. We fight it. We, we stand our ground. We pray for them. We don't write them off. We don't say, here, take this pill. Maybe you'll get better. We pray against the powers of principality. And I know for some of you are saying, oh, this is so crazy. I'll tell you what. I, you know, is it working? <laughs> is what the world has to offer working? Are people getting better? No. So maybe as Christians, we should take the spiritual approach. Test the Lord. Would you stand with me? Father, I pray. There I go ranting again, Lord. Can't help it. But pray that we would think about things and that we'd pray about things. And we pray, Father, that you would give us insight. We pray for our loved ones that are in bondage, Lord. Maybe they're in bondage to bitterness and unforgiveness. And they just won't let it go. They've excluded themselves from the family. They don't want to have anything to do with the family. They see themselves as a victim. Pray, Father, that today, right now, please, that you'd pull back the veil and that they would see it's not just their flesh that has them there, but it's demonic. It's a demonic influence that has them there. 
We pray for those that are addicted to drugs and alcohol and they're convinced, I'll never get over this, I'll never be able to move beyond this. Would you pull back the veil right now, Lord, in their life and show them this is a lie from the devil. He can make all things new in him. He can break the chains of bondage. doesn't matter what the chains of bondage are. We pray for those that are dependent upon medication to get them through the day that you'd pull, pull back the veil and that they'd be able to say, have I really tried Jesus? Have I really called out to him? Have I really depended upon him? That, Lord, you would set the captives free from all of these other things. We don't want just a little bit of Jesus. We want all of you, Lord. And we want you to have complete control and rule in our lives. So do it, Lord, please, in Jesus' name. And Lord, one more prayer, and this is going to sound crazy, but Lord, we pray, we pray right now, not just me, we pray right now. There are people in our community, and we can say, well, they're mentally ill, they're drug addicted, they're this, that, or there. Pray, Father, not by the authority that we have, but the authority of Christ. We pray, Lord, if some of these people are demonically oppressed or deep-possessed, Father, would you please set them free right now? Would you please deliver them right now from demonic possession? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.